as long as I've got my physical and mental health, although my mental health was questionable at that stage, as long as I've got my physical and mental health, like surrender, I'll take everything. They take my car, girlfriend, jobs, identity, title, everything. And then a week later, I end up in hospital. It's like, fuck, I don't know. Like, I give up. And I really don't, didn't want to give up. Like, that's not, that's not in me. But I was like, all right, I've got to give up. And I know often people talk, you know, when they go to AA or whatever it might be, that just, you've just got to surrender and stop, like, fighting what's, what you're not winning. And it felt um, like a wave of the white flag, which didn't feel good to me. But it also, like, I was out. I was empty and I was out of ideas. you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping the Michello on the other side. Let's get juicing. Blake Wall Thompson is on a mission to improve men's mental and emotional health. Because he reckons it's only once blokes feel comfortable enough opening up and expressing themselves we can cultivate generational change. But it's been quite the journey for Blake to reach this point in his life. He endured a traumatic childhood where he says he rarely, if ever, felt safe. Then there was a tumultuous 18-month period where he says he lost everything, and I mean everything. His job, his money, his girlfriend, his car, his house, even his health. But Blake wouldn't change any of it for the world because it was only once he was stripped of everything he valued he was able to step into his true purpose. And that's Momentum, a movement aiming to empower men to improve the quality of their lives. There were so many light bulb moments in this chat for me to understand how I, as a woman, can better understand and support the men in my life and raise my son to feel safe and supported to embrace his authentic self. Here's Blake. Blake, welcome to the Lemonade Podcast. How are you in beautiful Byron Bay? (laughs) <laughs> I'm really good. It's actually cold today, but um, it's, yeah, it's been amazing. Been up here for a couple of months, so loving it. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for you at all that it's cold there. <laughs> Just not at nah, all. <laughs> nah, understandably, understandably. <laughs> now, the question I seem to be asking everyone is just what is 2020 been, what has 2020 been like for them? What's it mm. been like for you? Um. It- it's interesting. It's, you know, part of me kind of feels guilty and bad, but it's probably been for me my best year in a number of years. And, um, you know, you're at our Melbourne talk, so you know a little bit about my, my journey, but my real bad years were kind of, you know, 2018 and the first part of 2019 um, where, you know, other people might've been living okay. And, you know, I feel kind of, um, yeah, a bit guilty that this year's turning out to be my best year in a long time. Wow. And I think, you know, beyond that, it gives me the opportunity to, I probably got bandwidth to be able to kind of help and support people um, who, who, who don't feel that 2020 is playing out to the, um, the way that it is for me. So yeah, it's been a good year. As part of that, because you've started new 
ventures and you've met new people. Is that part of the reason why? I guess you're feeling like you're almost a little bit more aligned and a little bit more on track than you have been in the past? Yeah, that's big. You know, if you look at, um, you know, I've been really interested in the role of the masculine and the feminine and, and the driving forces behind that. And, you know, for the masculine, it's super important for them to be clear on their passion, purpose and mission. And, you know, there was a good two-year period for me where I wasn't clear. I was really directionless and purposeless. Um, and that was really challenging. But, yeah, I've got some, some cool projects that are really aligned. Um, and life's really good when, when, you're, when you're clear on that passion, purpose and mission. So, oh, yeah, it makes that, you feel alive. Yeah. Gives you that, I don't know, that kind of feeling that goes throughout your body, that flow state where everything, you know, you can almost handle the shitty parts because that inev- inevitably that happens when you're in that flow aligned state. Mm. It's the flow. For me, it's the flow and the fire. It's the flow of like all things fall into place pretty easy. And it's the fire that kind of, um, burns inside and, and has you alive. So, yeah, the flow and the fire are big, really big. Oh, I love that. The flow and the fire. That's such a – sounds like a book. <laughs> sounds like a book that you could write. <laughs> I, actually just, I actually just came up with it in that moment. So, um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> never said it before, but I like it. I like it too. I'm waiting for your Insta post on that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, it wasn't all flow and fire, as you so eloquently put it. Um, you know, you've been through a lot in your life and as, as you touched on in 2018 and 2019, and I want to get to all of that. But firstly, I just want to take you right back and I start all my interviews in this way and that's just wanting to know what the, my, the childhood was like for my guests and what was it like for you growing up? Mm. Um, it, it's interesting. That, you know, it's um, the, the holistic psychologist talks about it a bit and I actually need to look into it a, a bit more. But a lot of my childhood's actually kind of, black in terms of I don't remember a lot of it Um, and for many who experience a fair bit of trauma in their childhood it's a it's a recurring theme Um, and I guess you know essentially a coping mechanism to help you manage what was a really challenging period of my life Um, the only problem is the body keeps the score so while you know, I push all that stuff to, to the side for most of my life. It's not going anywhere. You know, it's kind of stored in my body. So, you know, in terms of my childhood, it was, it was super challenging. You know, I feel really fortunate to have gone to good schools and, and have a good environment outside of the four walls of my home. Um, and the four walls of my home were really unsettling, you know, and, and as a child, I don't think I ever really felt safe. In fact, I was doing an NLP um, process with my coach a month or two ago. And she, she got me on, on this timeline exercise to go back to a time, you know, in your home where you felt safe. And I, I just, like, I couldn't find a moment, which, you know, is an ideal as a kid. Um, you know, and, yeah, a lot of challenges. And I guess, you know, the silver lining in that is it's kind of brought, me to where I am now and the interest that I have around, you know, psychology and addictions and um, mental illness and, you know, distorted, unhealthy masculine, like everything that burns inside me is, is stemming from some, some pain as a childhood. So that's the silver lining in what was, you know, really challenging as a, as a kid. 
Mm. And I, I think I've heard you speak about before it was that, that zero to seven other mm. age group is the really the formative years. And if you weren't feeling safe during that time, can you give me an insight into what it was like and what you can recall? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, and, you know, conscious parenting is something I'm really big on and, um, which, you know, if you said to someone else, you know, what's a 35-year-old single bloke worried about conscious <laughs> parenting for? It wouldn't really make sense. But, um, you know, for me, you really, you know, I spent a lot of time studying that and you really make or break, you know, which seems like a lot of pressure for parents and I, I don't kind of want to add to the pressure of already trying to be a perfect parent. But you really do kind of make or break um, in that first seven years because 95% of who you become in later, you know, in your later life is, is created in those formative years. So I'm really interested in that period. But for me, it was, um, you know, a, a one, obviously my dad's overseas and, and mum and dad split when I was two. Um, and again, you don't know, you know, as a two-year-old what's going on there, but on a deep psyche level you actually do and you know I've, I've done a fair bit of work around that but you know a, a parent that was um or has been pretty much all my life an alcoholic and you know another parent who was very abusive doesn't create the best home environment for you when neither parent you know step parent and parent feels safe um you know and that's shown up the stack of times and, and, and in more recent time, a lot of, you know, wounded masculine and feminine work I've been doing um, has shown up in relationships, you know, pieces around safety and security, which were always there, but are only coming to light. Well, they were always there, but, you know, I'm really starting to see the impact of that um, more so in relationships than anywhere else, you know, over, over the last couple of years. So, you know, you're at the Melbourne talk where, you know, I spoke about us as humans finding ways and coping mechanisms. And for me, you know, going into my home each night was the scariest place. And as a kid over years, um, you know, cause I was a super sensitive kid, I built a lot of armor and it, you know, for me, it almost felt like I was going to, to war each night when I went home, not knowing what I was going to get. Um, and you know, my brother got it as well. I think I probably, um, you know, as the older brother felt that I needed to protect him. So I'd often get in the middle of um, fights where he might have, you know, copped, copped a bit of flack. I'd get in the middle of um, fights when, you know, there was physical abuse between mum and stepdad, you know, to kind of protect her as best I could as a, as a kid. And then naturally, you know, this um, unhealthy kind of masculine figure in our house him and i would would go toe to toe a fair bit as well um which yeah so you know you look at that kind of dynamic and and i just always found myself in the fire so to speak what has that process been like for you unpacking the conditioning and the stories you told yourself about who you were and what the world mm. is what's that been like for you unpacking all of that and trying to dismantle i guess the world that yeah you knew once upon a time a fucking exhausting process, to be honest. <laughs> An absolutely exhausting process. And to be honest, part of why I do what I do now, you know, in terms of coaching, obviously what we're doing with Momentum, this new project I'm working on, is so, is so that people don't have to go through that same process. It is fucking exhausting when someone's not making that path really clear for you. You know, it, 
I've been in big on personal development since I was 18. And, you know, if someone just, like even, you know, something quite simple, I've been thinking about starting a book club, which um, is kind of funny, but awesome at the same time. But if someone just said, right, here's the perfect book for exactly where you're at, go and read it. And then, you know, come back to me with like, even something so simple like that, you know, obviously working with um, clients to be able to see where they're at having walked that path and to go, right, here's a book or here's a process that we're going to do or, you know, here's another way to think about it. Is can be so life-changing in that moment that they don't have to be, go through the exhausting process that I went through. You didn't, you know, you didn't leave school and go straight into this kind of work. You had a whole other career before all of this in the fitness industry. What appealed to you about that? Why did you want to, I guess, I find it really interesting that I guess you were attracted to an industry that helps people in yeah. one way. What, what, yeah, what appealed you to it? Well, for me, you know, I always wanted to play AFL um, and wasn't good enough. And then, you know, midway through year 12, I was kind of just like, fuck, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then a mate suggested PT and I was like, well, you know, I kind of do that already. You know, whether the footy boys wanted to do an extra session, I'd always be the one that instigated it. Um, so it, it was it was it was a natural thing for me. Like that was my safe haven as a kid. My whole life sport, you know, it was where I felt safest. It was where I felt my best version. Um, and you know, thirty five years on, it's still my, my my thing. And it's you know, when you think about it, it's fucking amazing that people have to try and work out what they're going to do as a career at 18. Like, yeah, you can't even put your socks on properly at 18 and people are asking you to make a career choice. And, you know, for me, I felt super fortunate that for, you know, I think I did it for 16 years in the end, for, for 15 of those 16 years to really love it. Like, I feel so fortunate, you know, mm. so many of my mates are still trying to work out what their passion and purpose is. Um, and, you know, as I said at the start, as a, especially as, a, as, you know, masculine energy where, where you're driven by passion and purpose, to not know what that looks like. Um, you know, I hate the thought of just fucking existing mm. on this planet and not really having an impact and not knowing what your purpose and passion is. So to work it out at such a young age, I feel super, super fortunate. You're also really successful at it as well. And you started it at a time when... I think everyone can get a PT, you know, everyone can get a PT now, but back then it wasn't the dumb thing to have a PT. So you were kind of catering to this really upmarket kind of, I don't want to use the word elite, but people who have that kind of income that can afford for somebody to come and train them. And so you were able to build it up really quickly, but what then appealed to you to then pivot that and then help not people with coaching. So not just the physical side, but I guess more of a holistic approach. Yeah, well, for me, um, I just wanted to have a bigger impact than I was, you know, all well and good with the sets, reps and steamed broccoli, but <laughs> I just wanted to be able to have an impact beyond the four walls of the gym. And that kind of tied in with my natural evolution, you know, like I, I got to the point, you know, I was fortunate enough that a number of publications and stuff would often have me write pieces for them. And I just remember, you know, towards the back end someone wanted me to do like a 20 minute workout video on on squats and i was like this is the most fucking boring thing like i do not want to talk about squats anymore like let's talk about something for me more meaningful so i probably tied in with my natural evolution of wanting to understand humans better 
wanting to understand what makes them tick um, and just feeling like I really wanted to have a greater impact beyond, you know, the four walls of the gym. Mm. Did you feel like in that, you know, you, you were doing so well and you were so successful that you were almost ticking off all the boxes. All right, great life purpose tick. Okay. Now what's next marriage, I guess, you know, having kids, a house, is that what felt like the next steps? And did that idea feel good or did that idea feel a bit stifling? Um, I think naturally, you know, if you look at us as humans, we need to constantly keep evolving and moving forward. Um, when it comes to the house, the kids, you know, that type of thing, I've never, like, I, I, I'm interested in kids and um, whatever else, but I've never, for whatever reason, really felt like I fit the system. Mm. You know, like I've always felt a bit different with that. And this is obviously a project that I'm working on at the moment because I've realised how many other people feel the same way. But society leads us down a path and that's great if that's, if that's right for you. But I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, and I guess the first part of my 30s, I was like, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with me, but it just doesn't feel right to like take this path. Um, and then, you know, over the last kind of three to four years, I've really seen that as a, as a gift um, to not fit the system and to certain, you know, to a certain degree to be a bit of a lone wolf and an adventurer and challenge the status quo because it, it didn't feel right. And I felt awkward and pretty average about it in my twenties. And now I'm like, fuck, this is cool. Like I'm really excited about what this looks like now. So, you know, it, it, it has its challenges when we're really conditioned and programmed to follow a certain path. And especially if, you know, deep, deep down that doesn't feel right to you, you're always, kind of grinding a little bit following a path that that isn't isn't aligned for you mm -hmm. yeah definitely i'm really curious now to deep dive into a series of events that you say happened between 2018 2019 that essentially just stripped away everything that you're attached to everything that you thought created your identity everything you held dear was taken away <laughs> what happened yep <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds fun <laughs> yeah Fuck, what a doozy. It, um, yeah, well, it started, to be honest, it started in a relationship and, you know, I, I would put my hand up and say I had the poorest level of awareness of literally anyone I know for most of my life. And it was very the kind of um, unaware masculine, just head down, force your way to success, whatever the fuck that looks like. And, you know, I'd started dating a chick who was polar opposites to me and we just clashed a lot. You know, beautiful girl, clashed a lot. But she was also probably one of the most intuitive, emotionally intelligent people that I'd ever met. And this was coming at the time where I started to study NLP. And it really was just like this, you know, unfortunately at the time it was really, you know, um, unhealthy, but it also really opened this can of worms for me of like, you know, you know, she was an introvert and I was somewhat more of an extrovert. She was academic. I was non-academic. She was a big family. You know, I come from pretty much no family, just polar opposites in everything. And the ignorant, arrogant ego part of me was like, oh, there's something wrong with this person because they're not exactly like me. Um, and then I just started to kind of wake up a little bit to like, fuck, mate, you know, there's more people on the planet than you and the way that you do things. And that kind of was the catalyst for the, the can of worms that opened. So, you know, what, what ended up happening was in the start of 2018, um, and you know this because you're at the Melbourne event, but I actually haven't spoken it that much publicly, was I actually filed for bankruptcy with six weeks, my business. And 
I was already, because I'd studied NLP about six months before that, I was already starting to join the dots and go, fuck, I've got some really unhealthy patterning, programming, behaviours going on. But it was too late. Like, I'd, I'd sunk the shit. You know, I got myself into somewhere, I think it was around 250K worth of debt in terms of money that was owed. And it wasn't necessarily that six weeks was doing bad. It was doing really well. But it was starting to slide down because I was also losing the passion for it. But it was, it was a culmination of, you know, a really poor level of awareness, really bad patterning, programming, beliefs and habits around money, a lot of ego and just a, a, a shit storm. Um, and I remember, you know, my um, coach at the time getting me to do an exercise. She's like, oh, you know, she obviously saw the riding on the wall before I had. And she was like, oh, I want you to, you know, go down to the shop and buy half a chicken. I want you to ask how much it was. And I was like, okay, cool. doesn't sound like much of an exercise. (laughs) Just wait and see. And at this point, this was really the start of the evolution. I was like, okay, cool. Didn't think much of it. Started walking down and just felt like anxious as fuck straight away. I was like, oh, that's weird. Because I'd never, you know, because I'd played my whole life in my head and never really been in my body. And she's like, I just want you to feel, you know, feel what you feel, pay attention to the stories you tell yourself. And it would have been a, you know, 400 meter walk. And I remember just starting to feel really anxious. And then the story started, you know, I was like, Rick, Rick the guy at the chicken shop, you know, he's going to think I'm a tired ass. You know, he's going to think I'm not successful. All these stories and this dialogue that I'd never listened to, I started paying attention to that. Because you were like, getting a half a chicken, is that right, rather than a full? Is I was that- getting the half chicken, yeah. Fascinating. And, and, and like asking how much it is, you know, like I, I would have never asked how much it was previously. And... All of a sudden, she's just like, I just want you to ask how much it was and pay attention to what you, you know, the stories you're telling yourself. And the stories I'm telling myself around being a tired ass, not being successful, um, you know, I think there was two or three other stories. And I, by the time I got there, you know, it, I felt like I was exhausted because I'd gone through this whole emotional process. And I just asked for half, you know, I was like, oh, Rick, how much for half a chicken? And expecting this massive, like, outlandish response of like, Blake, why are you asking how much for half a chicken, you tight ass? And he's like, oh, mate, it's, you know, fuck, I can't even remember how much. $8.50, didn't even flinch. And I, me just expecting this massive thing. And in that moment, I was like, oh, okay, there's a bit going on here. So over the course of, you know, the, the last couple of years, I've paid a lot of attention to money. And, you know, if you take it back, you know, to what we spoke about previously around the imprint period, we set a lot of beliefs in that first seven years. And, you know, my mum had a, a interesting relationship with money and, and people with money. You know, they're greedy, they're bad people, whatever. You know, we had a, a real tight ass in our family. And for me, that's, you know, one of the grossest characteristics and traits. And, you know, within that, you create this little shitstorm. So I actually end up creating a Google Doc of like all patterning, programming beliefs that really didn't serve me around money. And to date, it's up to 110 little like you know points and you can imagine if someone's got 110 limiting beliefs habits ways in which they sabotage their financial success they're going to fuck themselves pretty pretty nicely so um manifested yeah into bankruptcy wow that's incredible um and then that you know was the start of a really interesting period where you know what was fortunate was because I live a very lean lifestyle. They couldn't take anything. I didn't have a house or, or anything like that. 
Um, and I actually could open the next day as a sole trader. So it didn't actually affect my business other than I had to shut down the company element and open the next day as a sole trader. But, you know, a few months later, because I'd already started to you know, lose interest in what I was doing, shut down the business and then I moved to Melbourne. And at that point, I was pretty flat and really empty with, you know, all things health and fitness. And I took a management role in Melbourne um, with an F45 there. And, you know, the thing about us as humans is we, we often, especially when we don't have awareness, is we don't know what we look like from the outside. And I was like, oh, I can cover, you know, the, the way I'm feeling, which is really flat, um, and just do my role as a manager. You know, I went to management at F45, lasted a couple of months, got fired from there. I was like, oh, fuck, guys, like, that's pretty average. Fire me. Like, I'm good at what I'm doing. The ego's still holding on for dear life. Just Obviously, it's really their problem. Really yeah. yeah. It's their problem, not your problem. Come yeah. on, oh, they made a terrible decision to do that, <laughs> idiots. Um, and then I went and managed a body fit down in Melbourne. Same thing happened. A couple of months later, I got fired. Then... Um, you know, a couple of job opportunities come up with um, some guys in the area that I was more interested in around mental health, mental well-being, peak performance. Those fell through. Um, and then the girlfriend and I parted ways, you know, which is really hard relationships, as, you know, most of those listening will, will know. And it's made harder by the fact you're already at, at, at rock bottom. Do you know what I mean? And credit to her, she just wanted me to get up and, and um, reinvent myself, which, you know, again, if people are trying to reinvent themselves, there's the push part, which is all well and good, but there's also the surrender of like, if I keep pushing, I might be able to create something, but there's also the moments in stillness and silence where clarity actually comes to you. And that's what's turned out to be the case over the last 18 months. So she was pushing. And to be honest, you know, it obviously wasn't her intention, but the pressure that I got felt from her ended up almost being worse than the pressure that I put on myself and, and everything else kind of falling apart around me. You know, and I remember having a moment where I was like, fuck, I get why blokes jump. Like, wow. you know, and that's, that's obviously a pretty dark kind of moment, but I, the pressure, like I, I had nowhere, I couldn't hide anywhere. And I was still trying to hide at that stage as opposed to really listening to it. I was really holding on for dear life with my ego and the beliefs that I had. And, you know, the pressure that I was getting from her, the pressure I was getting from not having a job, you know, it was just endless. Um, and, you know, I, I guess that's a suicidal thought, but I, I, I didn't react on it and it, and it snapped, snapped me out to a certain degree. Um, and then, you know, I, so I, I'd been fired from two jobs in a few months. She, she'd left me and I was in Melbourne. Um, she'd gone back to Newcastle. I was in Melbourne with no, Oh, and my car had broken down by this stage. So I was in Melbourne with no car, no house. Girlfriend had just left. Um, no money, no job, and, and no direction. And no direction for me was the real kicker. Like, I, you know, I could hold on if I had direction, but I had no idea what I, where I was going. Um, and in, in a week's time, I was going to be homeless as well. So a mate ended up taking me under his wing, um, you know, which is really nice, a family friend that we've been family friends for 32 years and I ended up getting an opportunity in Newcastle. So I went there, you know, helped to start up franchise and three months later got, you know, fired from that. So in the space of nine months, wow. <laughs> I've been fired from three jobs and I'm not sure how people feel about their pride. Yeah. But that really was starting to take a hit. I was like, Oh, 
actually, maybe there's something about me in this equation. I'm just going to check in here. How is the ego at this point? Because there's many layers here. There's the bankruptcy. There's the relationship crumbling. There's losing the job. How's the ego holding up with all of this? Or is it at this stage, is it everyone else's fault but yours? The ego's still holding. Like my ego was like could hold on for dear life. It was, I was eating a lot of like humble pie, but the ego just wanted to hang in there. And, you know, at that point, after getting fired from the third job, I was like, okay, I'm just going to like, I've just got to let go. And on my, <laughs> on my way back to Adelaide, I'd hired a car and then that got broken into and shit stolen from there. I was like, fuck, I don't know what else I can do. And I remember speaking to Janelle, one of my business partners, going, mate, like as long as I've got my physical and mental health, although my mental health was questionable at that stage, as long as I've got my physical and mental health, like surrender, I'll take everything. They take my car, girlfriend, jobs, identity, title, everything. And then a week later, I, I'm back in Adelaide and I'm like, and I, I end up in hospital. And I was like, fuck, so I can't even rely on my, my physical health. I thought I had meningococcal. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. Like I give up. And I really don't, didn't want to give up. Like that's not, that's not in me. But I was like, all right, I've got to give up. And I know often people talk, you know, when they go to AA or whatever it might be, that just, you just got to surrender and stop like fighting what's, what you're not winning. And it felt um, like a wave of the white flag, which didn't feel good to me. Mm. But it also like I was out, I was empty and I was out of ideas. And I ended up doing an ayahuasca ceremony that week. Um, and two days later, the idea came to me about momentum. And I was like, okay, cool. And I, I like, I resisted doing work with men for so long, even though, you know, a lot of people recommended it. And then I rang Genoa, who's in Sri Lanka at the time. And he's like, yeah, mate, cool. Sounds good. Didn't think much of, much of it. Um, I think it was six or seven cocktails deep as well. So I didn't really care about my business <laughs> idea. <at> <laughs> Um, and then I rang Deals, who was in Melbourne and, and planted the seed with him as well. And then that kind of came to light. And that was, you know, a really big catalyst for getting me up and out of the, uh, the funk. Yeah. Do you think sometimes in life it's almost necessary for us to have everything we're attached to and everything we attach our identity to and sometimes in very traumatic ways taken and stripped away from us to reveal who we actually are and what we actually want in our life. And do you think you'd be where you are now had all these events not happened? No, I I think it's like, I think it's the best, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. And I've been talking about this a lot over the last kind of few months. It's the best thing that could have happened to me. And even the girlfriend, you know, like I thought I was going to marry her and everything. And and Teague's and I get along really well now. Like if she put up with my shit, I wouldn't have done the work I've done over the last two years. Like I had to lose her, um, to be honest, I had to lose her to really understand the depths of my ego, the depths of my, and, and I think I've still got ego work to do, but, you know, I had a lot of humble pie about 18 months, which really helped um, get my ego slightly healthier. But I had to lose it all. Like I really had to lose it all. And I think everyone walks a different path, but, you know, I don't know a huge amount about human design. I don't know how much you've done about it, but you know, Holly, who's a good friend, actually you had her on last yeah, week. Yeah, she was on the potty. Yep. A few weeks yeah. ago. Very popular podcast. Everyone loved her. Yeah. She's <laughs> yeah. a jet. She's a jet. Mm. So she describes human design to me and we've actually got similar. We've got three, five, which I still don't understand, but essentially we need to 
walk the path and fuck up as much as possible and learn to, to lead that path for many others. And um, I'm okay with that now, <laughs> now that I've come out the other side of it. Yeah. But realistically, you know, I could lose stuff again. And I guess the nature of my last three or four years puts me in a really good and strong position to be able to handle that. Mm. And I think, you know, what's interesting about the timing at the moment is a lot of people are losing a lot of stuff, whether it be material, status, identity, you know, stuff that really on a deep level doesn't, doesn't have a positive or necessary impact on us. Um, and it might be the awakening that a lot of people need at the moment, you know, in terms of COVID and, and the impact that it's having. So I needed to lose it all. Um, and, you know, I pretty much lost, <laughs> lost it all. I don't know what else I could have lost um, in order to be in the position that I'm at now, which is, you know, essentially the best I've ever been. Why is it important for you, you know, especially the bankrupt story, bankruptcy story is something, mm. as you said, you haven't spoken about too much apart from your talk in Melbourne and yet yeah, that's a very personal story. And, mm. you know, especially with the masculine and males attach identity and purpose to making money and that's their, they're a provider. Why is it important, I think, for you to share that story especially to a room full of men that probably would, I think there would be a lot of shame or embarrassment attached to that story, but you're kind of pulling that apart when you share it. Why is that important for you? Well, for a couple of reasons, because what I um, shine the light on from, from a personal point of view um, takes away the shame. Like shame doesn't, shame doesn't hang around when you speak openly and honestly about hmm. this stuff. So from a personal level, I felt better as soon as I, you know, had the conversation and, you know, on a, on a deeper level, blokes, yeah, exactly. As you said, blokes hang their hat on, you know, their identity, their income, you know, being a provider. Um, and if they're really struggling with that, then, you know, there's blokes that would prefer to take their life than bankrupt or, there's blokes who would prefer to take their life and feel like they can't be the provider because, you know, on a deeper level, it is emasculating. And no bloke wants to be emasculated, especially on that level. Like, that is, that is, our, that is our piece, to be the provider. And, you know, nothing, you know, so many stings in that 18 months, but to not be able to, to provide fatigues and, and to be that healthy masculine um, is as hard as anything. Like, I want to be... You know, I've always wanted to be that person. I think, you know, most blokes do. So that is the height of emasculating for, for males and to be able to lead by example in terms of sharing that hopefully gives them some strength to um, feel more comfortable with their struggles. And, you know, my big piece, which you know, I think you're aware, is I'll probably talk about my struggles more than I do my wins because... You know, through social media, it's such a glossy little piece for everyone that I don't want anyone thinking less of themselves or more alone in their struggle by just seeing the highlights reel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do my best to normalise the struggle so that people don't feel alone in that. Mm. Yeah, that is so true. And I think we're, we bond more about, I don't want to use the word failures, but our adver- through our adversity, we bond more because that's more human rather than we don't live in a constant state of winning and having wins and achieving. Mm. And I find that really interesting what you said about shame. And that's just such a huge thing for men. And mm. 
when I attended the talk in Melbourne, all three of you spoke very openly about relationships with shame and uh, ego. And then you, and that's such a basis of momentum and helping men talk and break down these barriers. Can you talk, talk mm-hmm. to us to me a little bit about momentum, how it got off the ground and I guess how you are breaking down these barriers that men especially find so taboo and uncomfortable to speak about? Yeah. Well, you know, part of it for me, you know, obviously kind of coming up with the idea and then speaking to the other two boys was, I, I wanted to be able to connect with other blokes on a deeper level. You know, like I've got a lot of good girlfriends, um, you know, a lot of good girlfriends who we can talk for hours on end about, you know, all things life. But I actually don't have that many blokes that, you know, will go to those levels. Like we can talk about the footy for hours, definitely. And I love that, especially when my team's doing well, which hasn't happened for 15 years. But um, to find other blokes who are interested in having those conversations was really big. And... You know, no, to be honest, I don't think many, if any, blokes would be interested <laughs> in taking the journey that I've took, you know, in terms of it taking 14 years. Like, it's fucking exhausting. So to make it easier for blokes to have um, a network of blokes that they can go beyond the normal surface level is really important. And I think the other thing, you know, when I look at it, is I would have liked more male role models and and groups in my time Mm -hmm. and there's still to be honest there's still a stigma around men's work and i understand that you know for a lot of people it still comes across as a bit cringy it still comes across a bit you know awkward and like there's a stigma for a reason because i've been to some of those things and i'm a very open person but i felt real awkward in some of those environments so you know if that's me who's very open to this then other blokes have got no chance, Yeah, you know, in terms of feeling comfortable with this type of stuff. So we looked at it and we've gone, okay, the men's space is kind of pretty cringy. It's also not very accessible or appealing. You know, like if a bloke's dipping his toe in because, you know, he's got depression or he's got anxiety or he's struggling with his missus or whatever it might be, is what's that first touch point? Well, it might just be, you know, one question deeper than what you'd normally go. E.g., how's the missus good? You know, and people finish the conversation there. How's work? Good. Cool. What if I ask one question like, you know, how's the missus good? Oh, how'd she go with that job opportunity she had last week? And that's just a level deeper and we start connecting a bit more on that level. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. instead of doing eye-gazing exercises and, you know, corroboree dances out in the bush with some (laughs) of the other you know, things that are available, then we wanted to create something that was just, you know, an easy first option for blokes. You know, we can still go to the pub and have a beer and a schnitzel and, you know, talk a little bit about anxiety or we can still go to the footy, have a meat pie, watch the demons get absolutely pumped like they do every week and, you know, talk about how your missus is, you know, struggling to, to not feel connected with you, whatever it might be. So just making the space more appealing. And I, you know, the, the way that I look at it is I, you know, I look at, um, you know, dating apps, what, five, seven years ago, and there was still a bit of a stigma around them. And, you know, you... You know, you did it, but you kind of didn't talk about it. And now it's just normalised. And, you know, I think we're probably 
three to five years away from normalising the men's space, but I do mm. see it as something that's on the way and we want to be, you know, the first point of call and a good avenue for those blokes when they are ready to take that first step. You know, and I look at the space at the moment, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, talk and, and days that are dedicated to mental health, which is brilliant. I think we've kind of broken that stigma now. But in terms of what lies underneath that as yes. a support mechanism. Yeah, then what happens? So true. Then what? Like, cool, we can, we can send out, you know, and the Are You OK guys do a fucking amazing job. Like, we can send out 50 messages on Are You OK Day and then what? Like, what happens next? So yeah. we've broken through that stigma and now it's time to build support under that where blokes can um, start to kind of feel safe, supported, seen and start to work through their stuff. Yeah, I love that. Do you think that men, from the feedback you've gotten because you've been doing it for the last six or so months, and correct me if I'm wrong, around that time, do you think men were crying out for something like this? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's two parts. There's the men that are crying out for it and there's the men that don't realise yet that they're crying out for it. You know, and the amount of conversations we would have had with girlfriends, you know, sisters, mums, wives... Like, you know, Billy doesn't think there's anything wrong with him, but, you know, he's drinking 10 yeah. drinks a night, whatever it might be. There's, there's, you know, there's a lot of um, barriers to entry, so to speak, that we need to break through when it comes to blokes. The ego, the lack of awareness, the pride, um, you know, the stigma. Like, you've got six or seven layers that need to be broken through from a conditioning and a cultural point of view before you get them to pick up the phone and go, Blake, I need, you know, I need help or boys, can I come to your next event? So again, it's changing, but it's, we're still a while away from really normalizing that. Mm. And like, I'm pumped at the thought of, you know, us holding a retreat where we go, you know, on a surf trip for 10 days and go surfing for a few hours and then we do breath work and then we do training and then we do workshop on, you know, connection and communication with your partner. Like for me, that's, that's the ultimate. So um, yeah, looking forward to how it kind of starts to unfold over the next few years. What do you think are the biggest challenges that men are facing and the barriers that they're facing to go any deeper than that surface level that you said? And I guess why the, you know, the rates of suicide and depression and anxiety within mm. male Australians is just huge and getting even worse. Yeah. And I, I took, you know, unfortunately I think it probably get a little bit worse before we start to turn it around. But um you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of barriers. There's the conditioning around crying and what that means and mm. don't be a pussy. And, and that's, you know, to, to break away from any conditioning, you know, whatever you believe to be true around our authentic selves takes a lot of work, you know, and that's, you know, that's part of what's been really interesting for me, breaking away from the conditioning more so over the last four or five years, the status quo and everything and loving it now, but how polarizing that is for those that, that do follow the conditioning. There's the lack of awareness. You know, if you, if you speak to some of the experts in domestic violence, a big part of the outbreaks is that they have no body awareness. Yeah. It's not like it just creeps up on them and then they, you know, lose their shit. Whereas like people, when they start to create that mind-body connection again, like, okay, you know, my throat's drying up or I can feel my heart rate elevating and you don't snap because you can feel the pressure building and you take action before, you know, you snap. Then there's, you know, if you look at relationship dynamics, I think a lot of blokes feel inferior, which is never a great feeling, especially for blokes with their pride and ego. 
they feel inferior to women because women are you know more connected with themselves they know how to communicate right, they know how to really articulate mm. and it's you know it's like this little boy and you know it's almost like this this mummy issue of like you know little boy talking to his girlfriend his wife like I don't know how to communicate. I don't know what this feeling in my chest is. And it's like, well, fuck, I just won't talk about it because my mates think I'm a pussy. My girlfriend, you know, is, is superior in terms of emotional intelligence. So like, where the fuck do I go? It's so interesting that point. And I can just think of so many examples in previous relationships I've had. And I think, and that's something I really wanted to discuss with you too. Carrying on from that is, you know, I've thought to myself when they've said things like, Oh, how can you not know that already? Or, and maybe I'll pass judgment or shame them for not knowing something unintentionally. And that probably causes men to retreat even further within themselves and feel even more afraid of establishing that connection or asking why, you know, I think so many times we, we try women try and say what men are misunderstanding about us, but what about that question in reverse? What are we Mm. misunderstanding about men as well? There's, there's not a huge, you know, at least from my experience, there's not a huge amount, um, you know, Alison Armstrong does it best, I reckon, in terms of understanding men. You know, The Queen's Code is still by far the best book I've right. read from a women's perspective, trying to understand men and how to try to empower them. But yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's, you know, I kind of look at it from a bloke's point of view and if he's been conditioned, you know, as many blokes mm. have, you know, in his late twenties, thirties, maybe even forties, he's got to learn two new languages. He's got to learn the, the the language and the understanding of the body. What do I feel? Where am I feeling it? You know, what does it actually mean? And then the language of communicating that. And that can be really challenging because like you don't want to come across as a dead shit to your partner, but you haven't got the words for it. So in mm. terms of, you know, a female supporting a male in that, it might just be like, what do you feel in your body? Well, <clears throat> yeah, my throat's yeah. a bit dry or my heart's racing. Like start there, just trying to create that mind-body connection. And that's enough for day one. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, without being disrespectful, like just imagine that he's, he's in prep and he's learning two new languages, the art of communication and the art of like feeling his body. Like you're well-evolved and, you know, depending how well in tuned you are with your body you can probably articulate it beautifully and it's you know it's really nice to hear females when they can articulate it but for him fuck he doesn't know what he's talking about so um you really got to strip it right back to basics and and yeah you know as you said sometimes you'll say something like how can you not know you know Mm. i I would have copped that a hundred times in my relationship how can you not know what you're feeling how can you not know like you know what's going on in your heart well thanks sweetheart that's really helpful for a bloke that you know hasn't got that mind body connection now i feel like even more inferior to you in that space because i can't articulate it and then i guess that more manliness does come out then well then i'm gonna be more of a man or that kind of behavior or go out with the boys and be like that because i don't know how to i don't feel comfortable in that space so i'm gonna go back to what you're just giving me such a light bulb moment It's massive. It's massive. You know, I like I look at it. of this. And um, I look at it and every time I felt small, I tried to beat my chest harder. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even, even when I look at, you know, all the stuff that Teagues would have had to experience in that relationship, like I, fuck, I would have carried on like an absolute pork chop because I felt so small and, 
um, beaten down that I was actually beat. Like she can, you girls are brilliant. Like you can see beyond the shit, you know, Mm -hmm. and the amount of times, you know, through different interviews with females that I've, you know, had females say, well, I just wish you'd say an integrity or I just wish there'd be less ego. Like those are two really big things. And then obviously heart centered and communication are, you know, other things that so many females desire. But for blokes, it's just, it's just, it's just an armor. Like, my ego problems that I've had in the past, you know, the identity, the carry on has just all always been an armor for not feeling good enough or not feeling safe within myself. Um, it's just, it's all bullshit, which mm. if you keep coming back to it from a place of empathy, you can see that it's bullshit, mm. you know? Um, most of us get triggered in that kind of surface level of like, oh, he's arrogant or whatever. It's mm. like, yeah, cool. I, you know, have been arrogant, have had an ego problem. And on a deeper level is just my inner child, my little boy who's scared, feels inferior, feels not good enough. And these are the masks and the armor that I've built over mm. 20 years as a protective mechanism and a coping mechanism. Yeah, that ties in beautifully to my next question is I'm the mother of a four-year-old son. What are the things that I can be doing and the main caregivers in his life can be doing to help raise that next generation of men to be, I guess in touch with their feelings and be able to identify, as you said, things going on their body and, you know, be able to communicate. So one day when, you know, he's in 20, 30 years, he doesn't even need to be feeling emasculated because he's already at a level that probably the other, the females that he knows have been raised to be. What can I be doing? What can society be doing to foster that in young boys? I think, you know, we talk a lot about holding space and, you know, one of the things, actually, Ellie's really good at this, as, as, as you're aware, um, is just allowing them to speak exactly what they feel instead of telling them what they feel or what they should feel or shouldn't feel. Like, what do they feel? And as they get older, being able to articulate it, you know, it comes back to, you know, something really kind of simple as like, if he's crying, he's crying. Do you know what I mean? Like, we create this... Um, relationship with certain feelings that are good and bad Mm. and you know we want to heighten the good and we want to kind of suppress and distract ourselves from the bad but it does like we don't work like that we can't do that like we're one or the other so being able to express fully exactly what we're feeling in every moment is super important i think and Mm. you know if you start there and and you can maintain that mind-body connection from an early age then it makes you a lot more integrated, you know, later in life. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of kind of work on wounded masculine and feminine, which I'm very fortunate that both are so heavily wounded, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a lot of work, um, you know, and, and obviously a big part of that and, and no one's to blame, but a big part of that is my relationship with both my mum and my dad and just maintaining those healthy relationships, you know, especially in that imprint period, is going to set them up massively to not have to do stupid amounts of work later in their lives. Mm. So, you know, I think conscious parenting is is an absolute gift to any child, um, you know, and the biggest gift is, you know, I, I from my experience, you know, having been on the other end is just a loving, nurturing, supporting and safe house. Mm. You know, like all I, all I ever wanted was to feel safe and I walked in, the house each night you know and and for me that was the most unsafe place so if it's loving nurturing supportive Mm. um 
you know, and that conscious kind of parenting element, then I think it's amazing. And what are the main lessons you think you've learned about yourself? If you could give me the top three out of everything you've been through, what have you learned about yourself? Um, well, definitely the awareness piece, like how important awareness is. And that's our big thing with momentum. Everything starts with awareness. You know, a very masculine thing is to take ownership, but you can't own what you can't see. So as we heighten that awareness, that's been a really big part. Um, you know, is a level, which I'm still working on, is a level of forgiveness and um, love of self of like, you know, you're all good. You're all good. You know, like a lot of my personal development definitely came from a, a place of lack and a place of scarcity of like, you're not good enough. You need to be perfect to be loved. And, you know, if I look at my, my upbringing, um, you know, I, I don't think I ever really felt loved in, in those relationships from my mm. parents. So that becomes a real driving force to be perfect, to be loved, um, which is a fucking tough game to win. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, the, I guess the third thing is that we're pretty resilient as humans. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it was an absolute doozy of an 18 months. Um, and, you know, each of those things on their own are, are, are hard to cop, but when it's one after the other, it just eventually wears you down. <laughs> mm. And, yeah, I had to be worn down to kind of skin and bone and, and bottom out before I could start to climb back up. And I guess the other thing, you know, is how quickly things can turn around. It's pretty much a year to the date that, you know, I bottomed out completely and now in Byron Bay with some really cool projects that I'm working on and, and a really kind of healthy coaching business, um, a lot can turn around real quick. So yeah, it's, it's cool to think this time last year, it was so bleak and I had no idea, you know, like I knew I wanted to do coaching. I didn't know what it looked like, but I knew I was really interested in coaching and here I am now as clear and aligned as I've ever been. Wow. That's awesome. What does, the future look like for momentum and you know what do you how do you see that evolving in the future to support men just like you in the same space that you were not so long ago yeah well that's i mean obviously australia is our big target initially um but i see it as as yeah being the first point of call for those you know real aussie blokes who you know and and I've worked with psychologists and I've worked with very spiritual people and, you know, both of them I love and I've got some really good friends at either end and I can see how the standard Aussie bloke feels intimidated or uncomfortable by that. So we want to kind of fit in the middle of there of like being, you know, a, a easy entry point for blokes looking to do the work. And, you know, as I said, I think we're probably three to five years away from really normalizing it. Um, and, you know, everyone wins. Like everyone wins. The blokes, you know, the suicide rate will come down. Blokes will be healthier mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, and, you know, the, the women, all the, you know, all the partners are, are winning massively as well. And that's a really nice, you know, thing. I, I guess having worked so much with women over the last 16 years, I've heard what it's like to be on their side of the fence mm -hmm. um, and the struggles that they have in relationships and whatever else. So, you know, we kind of look at it as a really nice thing where everyone will win. Um, and, you know, our big thing is to, to create generational change because it has to start with us. Otherwise, the next generation is just as traumatised and, and, uh, and messed as, as what we're going through at the moment. So 
that's that's our big thing. How can we have an impact on us so that the next generation coming through um, start to kind of turn this all around? Oh, I love that. Now, Blake, I finish all my interviews in the exact same way, and that is wanting to know what I'd love to know what the Blake now in front of me would tell the Blake in his darkest moments where it all felt pretty impossible at times, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the Blake now um, was telling the Blake then the same thing in terms of just take it one day at a time and I'll open up, you know, and, and I, I've, I've spoken to obviously a lot of people down in Melbourne who are struggling and, you know, I, I couldn't see how the grass was green. I couldn't see light at the end of the tunnel in it, you know, and, and while everyone kind of says, oh, there'll be light at the, the end of the tunnel, you know, for me when I was really dark, I kind of, felt like telling those people to go fuck themselves because I just didn't want to hear that. But you it's don't believe it. Yeah. You don't believe it. And, you know, I just had to step one foot in front of the other and eventually it was going to open up and it did. And it's, you know, blossomed into the, the, the best I've ever been. Um, and as I said before, in such a short period of time, in like 12 months. So one foot in front of the other, you know, things will get better. And, you know, the life you know kind of happens you know for you not to you and everything that i went through has happened for me and again couldn't see that in the moment but the breakups the getting fired from all the jobs everything has happened for me not to me so that's how i see it now i love that thank you so much it was a pleasure talking to you thank you you've given me so much to think about So many light bulb moments now. A lot makes a lot of sense. So thank you. Perfect. Thanks very much for having me. I think it's so important for women to just hear it from the other side because, as I said, we hear it always women to men, but we rarely hear it men back to women. So, Mm. yeah, thank you for sharing all that you did and for being so vulnerable. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lemonade. I'll pop links to Blake's profile and momentum in the show notes. As always, you can connect with me at Elizabeth O'Neill. If you're enjoying this content, why not show your support by hitting five stars, subscribing, leaving a review, or even sharing these conversations on your social media channels. Until next week, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.